0: You are working in the emergency department in February, and it's the coldest day of the year. Burr. And Jackson Daniels is a 13-year-old who arrived via ambulance for a sudden onset of cough and difficulty breathing. He notes, one word at a time, that it started after he ran for the school bus this morning. He was running late and sprinted for it. On the bus, he couldn't stop coughing or catching his breath, and when he arrived at school, the nurse sent him right to the emergency department. His mother arrived around the same time as Jackson, and she noted that he has had a cough before, especially in the winter when he's been outside, but never this bad. On your physical exam, you note that Jackson has a respiratory rate of 28 breaths per minute, and a pulse ox shows oxygen saturation of 98% on room air. Air movement is relatively quiet, diffusely in all lung fields, and there is some mild wheezing bilaterally and a prolonged expiratory phase of respiration. As you leave the room, you wonder, what are some therapies I should begin on Jackson, and can I treat his symptoms while still making the diagnosis? Consider your answers as we begin this next episode. Welcome to Audiobricks, I'm Adam Weinstein, bringing pulmonology from our bricks to your ears. Let's also get started demonstrating how kids are not little adults. After completing this episode, you will be able to, one, define asthma, including its epidemiology. Two, describe the clinical presentation of asthma. Three, explain the pathophysiology of asthma 4. Discuss how asthma is diagnosed. And 5. Outline how to manage patients with asthma. Part 1. What is asthma? Asthma is a chronic obstructive lung disease characterized by bronchial hyperreactivity and mucosal inflammation that leads to episodic obstruction of the small airways. Its severity can range from mild to potentially life-threatening. Asthma frequently occurs in patients with a history of atopy, and there is overlap with other allergic diseases, such as eczema, which is also called atopic dermatitis, and allergic rhinosinusitis. Worldwide, asthma affects more than 250 to 300 million people, and in 2019, it caused 455,000 deaths. Yikes. Yikes. In the United States, more than 25 million people have asthma, including more than 5 million children under the age of 18. This represents nearly 8% of the U.S. population. Among U.S. children, asthma is more common in males, whereas among U.S. adults, it's nearly twice as common in females than males. Black and indigenous Americans have the highest rates of asthma compared with other race and ethnic groups. The economic impact of asthma is huge. It is estimated that in the US, asthma costs a total of over $55 billion per year. In addition to medical costs and hospitalization, the economic burden also includes lost productivity in terms of missed work and school days. Part two What is the clinical presentation of patients with asthma? Asthma often presents in childhood, but it actually also can present in adulthood. The symptoms of asthma include a dry cough, wheezing, a feeling of chest tightness, and shortness of breath. Symptoms may be triggered by a wide range of environmental factors that include allergies, smoke, air pollution, and chemicals, such as those in cleaning products. Asthma exacerbations may also be triggered by upper respiratory tract infections, exercise, and cold air. Hmm. Could our patient, Jackson, have asthma? Patients who first present with asthma as adults are less likely to have allergy related triggers. Another pearl is that some children may only present with a dry cough, making it harder to diagnose asthma since there is less of the classic wheeze in these cases. Part three What is the pathophysiology of asthma? Traditionally, Asthma has been categorized as atopic or non-atopic. Atopic asthma is due to sensitization to common allergens such as pet dander, mold, dust mites, and pollen. The allergen cross-links IgE on mast cells, which releases histamine and generates inflammatory mediators such as leukotrienes and prostaglandins. This is known as type 1 or IgE-mediated hypersensitivity. This response leads to bronchoconstriction, mucus production, and narrowing and obstruction of the small airways. Non-atopic asthma is triggered by exposures too, such as an upper respiratory tract infection or pollutants such as tobacco smoke, exercise, or even cold air. All of these triggers also lead to inflammation, bronchoconstriction, and mucus production in the small airways. Work-related triggers exist too, also known as occupational asthma. People who work in environments where they are exposed to various types of chemicals may have this, including bakers from flour exposure and artists and contractors from isocyanates and other chemicals and paints and various solvents. The inflammation in both atopic and non-atopic asthma typically involves the peripheral airways and spares the lung parenchyma. In eosinophilic inflammation, increased mast cells are seen. Precipitated IgE proteins known as charcoladin crystals may also be evident. Increased numbers of T-cells are also present, regardless of whether the inflammation is atopic or non-atopic. Over time, Chronic inflammation can lead to airway remodeling, involving thickening of the basement membrane and smooth muscle tissue. Now it's time for a question break. What are Charcot-laden crystals? Charcot-laden crystals are precipitated IgE crystals seen in atopic asthma. Part 4, How Do We Diagnose Asthma? Asthma is largely a clinical diagnosis, meaning one can diagnose it based on a history and physical examination. However, because the symptoms and exam findings can vary, in some cases it may be helpful to use additional diagnostic tools. A physical exam performed during an asthma exacerbation would typically demonstrate tachypnea and tachycardia, accessory muscle use, expiratory wheezing, and prolonged expiratory phase of respiration due to the airway obstruction. Wheezing is quite typical as well, though in severe cases, the obstruction may be so severely limiting to air movement, the wheezing may not be heard, and in fact, lung sounds are just very quiet in these severe cases. On the other hand, between asthma episodes, a patient may have normal respiratory exam findings. A pulmonary function test, or PFT, is a group of evaluations that assess overall lung health based on values for air volume, airflow, alveolar diffusion, and underlying inflammation. Patients with asthma who are between episodes and asymptomatic may have normal PFT findings, but patients during an episode will have characteristic findings. FEV1 is the measurement of the amount of air that a person can force out of their lungs in one second. Patients with active asthma may have decreased ability to forcibly exhale air in the first second. During exhalation, the narrowed airway is obstructed and may collapse secondary to the positive intrathoracic pressure, trapping some air. Forced vital capacity, or FVC, or total expired volume, is typically preserved in asthma, and patients can fully inflate their lungs during inspiration. Therefore, patients with asthma may have a lower FEV1 than predicted, but a normal FVC the FEV1 to FVC ratio will be particularly decreased, and less than 80% of predicted. Notably, in asthma, FEV1 will improve after administration of a bronchodilator such as albuterol. An improvement of FEV1 is indicative of reversible airway obstruction, which is classic for asthma. Sometimes the diagnosis of asthma is unclear, even after an appropriate history and physical exam and after PFTs. This is especially the case when the patient is being seen in between episodes. Asthma is a hyperreactive condition, though, and so there are also tests called bronchoprovocation tests, which, as the name implies, can provoke bronchoconstriction and assist in making a diagnosis of asthma. These tests have also been called bronchial challenge tests. The tests use a substance such as methacholine to induce bronchoconstriction. With increasing doses of methacholine, PFTs are repeated to assess for an accentuated decrease in FEV1 compared to a normal decrease. A negative methacholine challenge test is useful in ruling out asthma because it has a good negative predictive value. Another tool for diagnosing asthma is a fractional exhaled nitric oxide, or FENO, test. Nitric oxide is a normal byproduct of cells, but the inflamed mucosa of asthma produces a higher-than-normal quantity. Measuring the percentage of nitric oxide in the exhaled air may help to determine the level of inflammation present in the bronchial mucosa. And now for a question break. What happens to FVC in patients with asthma? FVC is typically preserved because lung parenchyma is not involved. It's FEV1 that is decreased, and more specifically, the FEV1-FVC ratio. Part 5. How do we manage patients with asthma? The mainstays of managing our patients with asthma involves prevention and control of exacerbations. After diagnosing your patient with asthma, it's important to identify their triggers. Once identified, patients may take actions such as replace regular bedding with hypoallergenic options, avoid specific allergens, for example, if allergic to cats, patients will choose not to have a cat, right? Quit smoking, avoid secondhand smoke, including from wood stoves and fireplaces, use non-toxic cleaning products, or reduce a workplace exposure. Patients with anticipated exposures like exercise or cold air can take bronchodilating medication just prior to the exposure to prevent an exacerbation as well. In this episode, we won't go through a detailed discussion of the classes of drugs used for asthma. Instead, we'll summarize some commonly used treatments. Rapid bronchoconstriction occurs during an asthma attack, and so... Fast-acting bronchodilators are the mainstay of therapy used to reverse this. The primary choices are short-acting beta-agonists, such as inhaled albuterol, and or an inhaled anticholinergic, such as ipratropium bromide. For patients with a moderate to severe exacerbation, a short course of an oral glucocorticoid, for example prednisone, is often needed to reduce the airway inflammation in the acute exacerbation. Patients presenting more severely with hypoxia will receive supplemental oxygen, and those with limited response to the first-line agents will receive intravenous bronchodilators and may require additional support like ventilation. Patients with chronic or persistent asthma have chronic inflammation and receive long-acting maintenance therapies to prevent and reduce the severity of relapses. Inhaled corticosteroids such as fluticasone or budesonide and leukotriene inhibitors such as montelukast counteract the chronic inflammation and are typically used for patients with persistent asthma. A long-acting beta-agonist such as salmeterol may be added to the inhaled steroid to maintain all-day bronchodilation. In patients whose asthma is caused by perennial allergies and who have difficult to control symptoms despite the use of the above, biologics may be considered. One such biologic is a monoclonal antibody against IgE. It treats atopic asthma by binding to IgE and preventing a type 1 hypersensitivity reaction to allergens. Other monoclonal antibodies target IL-5, reducing eosinophilic inflammation in the airways. Let's finish off with a question. Which drugs suppress chronic inflammation in asthma? Corticosteroids and leukotriene inhibitors suppress the chronic inflammation in asthma. And that's all I have today for asthma. Let's see if we've completed our goals for this episode. Can you define asthma? Asthma is a chronic obstructive lung disease characterized by bronchial hyperreactivity and mucosal inflammation that leads to episodic obstruction of the small airways. Next, can you describe the clinical presentation of asthma? Asthma may present with a history of dry cough, wheeze, the feeling of chest tightness, and or shortness of breath. Symptoms are typically triggered by environmental factors that include allergies, smoke, air pollution, and chemicals, as well as upper respiratory tract infections, exercise, and cold air. Now, can you explain the pathophysiology of asthma? Traditionally, asthma has been characterized as atopic or non-atopic. Atopic asthma is due to sensitization to common allergens such as pet dander, mold, dust mites, and pollen. Non-atopic asthma is triggered by exposures, too, such as an upper respiratory tract infection, pollutants such as tobacco smoke, exercise, or even cold air. And all of these triggers also lead to inflammation, bronchoconstriction, and mucus production in the small airways. Next, can you discuss how asthma is diagnosed? Asthma is a clinical diagnosis and can be made with a history and physical examination. Additional diagnostic tools, when needed, include pulmonary function testing, bronchoprovocation tests, and FENO tests. Lastly, can you outline how to manage patients with asthma? first step in asthma management is to identify allergic or non-allergic triggers and minimize or prevent exposure to these triggers. Drugs used to treat asthma include bronchodilators, corticosteroids, leukotriene receptor inhibitors, and monoclonal antibodies. Thinking back to your patient, Jackson, who is a 13-year-old with a sudden-onset cough and difficulty breathing after running to catch the school bus on the coldest day of the year, he was found to have tachypnea, diffuse wheezing, quiet air movement, and a prolonged expiratory phase. As you leave his room, you wondered... What are some therapies I should begin on Jackson, and can I treat his symptoms while still making the diagnosis? You suspect that Jackson has exercise-induced asthma. You prescribe a single albuterol nebulizer treatment, and you see improvement in his cough, louder breath sounds, and more comfort in general. Interestingly, his wheezing got louder too, but you chalk that out to improved air movement and less obstruction. Rather than from worse bronchoconstriction, you provide additional treatments for his exacerbation, including another albuterol neb, as well as a concurrent ipratropium bromide neb, and start him on a five-day course of oral prednisone. Of note, Jackson's positive response to albuterol identified a reversible cause of obstructive lung disease and was a therapeutic maneuver to help confirm his diagnosis of asthma. Pretty cool. Jackson's primary care provider sees him a few days later, and he's feeling much better. She tells him that exercise and or cold air may be triggers for him, and she prescribes him an albuterol meter dose inhaler with spacer to use every four hours as needed when or if this were to be triggered again. And that's all I have for today's audio break. Thanks for joining me. If you like this episode, give it a thumbs up or a comment. You can enjoy the full brick experience online at www.usmle-rx.com, complete with illustrations, questions, flashcards, and active learning. Stay healthy out there.